This picture you're about to see uh, tells a lot about my adolescence. This was one of the keys to my existence right here, which shows my age. I realize that, okay? Okay, a few of the younger ones. All right, that's good. That's fair. You know, this, I mean, this was just part of what I did almost every day, and now we look back and those games seem a little lame, all right, compared to the newer ones. I get that, but it was a lot of fun back in the 80s, okay? But when you're playing the Atari, right, you were on a pretty short leash, as you can sort of see from that picture. Uh, it wasn't like there was remote control controllers you could sit across the room. You were right in front of the machine, right in front of the TV. And so uh, we were playing those games, and you know, the thing is, after every single one, it was good we were on a short leash, because after every game, you have to reach over to the console itself, and on the right side, there on top, you had to hit the reset button every time. And if you didn't like the way the game was going, you just hit the reset button, because they weren't keeping averages, they didn't have player profiles, they didn't know who you were. Just hit the reset button, and everything starts over. And you know, as we began this year, we sort of wished that there was a reset button we could just hit and go back to normal. And we've talked about the fact that there is no such thing, that there is no going back to what once was. We've got to deal with what currently is. And in this series that I'm calling Reset, we're thinking more about resetting ourselves, and more importantly, allowing God to reset who we are so that we are positioned to be the people that God wants us to be and to do the work that God has called us to do. And so we're thinking about how we do that in this new year. And last week we talked about planning and planning with humility, how important it is to let God lead us and guide us because ultimately he's the one who knows the future. He's in control, not us. But that's all about planning once we've decided sort of where we're going and where God is leading. If we take a step back from that, then that gets into challenging territory for me because choosing the goal, choosing the path when there are many options, man, that can be pretty hard for me because I'm really good at looking down each of those paths and seeing the advantages and disadvantages to each one. And knowing, well, there's really big opportunities over here, but there's also really big dangers. And there's really opportunities here, and there's also danger. And there's really, up until I get virtually paralyzed because of the number of choices and what I can see down each path. And I think lots of us, when we're making big decisions in life about where we're headed or where our work is or church, whatever it is we're involved with, where that's headed, we can get paralyzed to the point of inaction. Now, a lot of that has to do with fear. Because we're afraid of failure. We're afraid, what if I choose that path and, and try to go toward that goal, that destination, and I fail? What if along the way I recognize I'm not good enough? What if I recognize I'm not smart enough, engaging enough, friendly enough, outgoing enough, what if I'm not wise enough? What if I don't have enough experience? What if I'm too old, too young? Whatever it is, we are, we're afraid we don't have what it takes to succeed. And if we're not careful with all those voices speaking in our heads, we're paralyzed. Paralyzed to the point of inaction. Sometimes we're afraid what other people are going to think. What if I fail? What are they going to think about me? What are they going to say about me? 
And so we don't do anything. Some people are in the, that are in the room are just the kind of people who are never going to be the first to step out and act. So if no one else does, guess what? We're frozen, we're paralyzed in inaction. Some people in the room are just cautious. They don't like to risk very much. And so sometimes that leads us to being frozen, no action at all. So what do we do with that? I mean, if we're positioning ourselves in 2021 to be the people that God has called us to be and to do the work that God has called us to do, and we're frozen in inaction, what do we do about that? Today, I want us to think about that. And to do so, I want us to turn to a story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 19. Now, there's two versions of this story. We more often read the version that's in Matthew, and we call it the parable of the talents. Talent was just a denomination of money, really just a weight. And that was like a year's worth of wages. Okay, so we've got that story. This one is slightly different, and we call it the parable of the minas. And a mina was also a denomination of money in the ancient world. We'll get to that in a minute. And we don't tell the story from this retelling, if you will, in Luke chapter 19 very often. I thought it was good just to hear this story so you're familiar with it and let it stand on its own two legs. Now, one of the things, though, about parables that we should know before we jump in is some people will say, here's where I have a problem with the Bible. Because you've got the same story told in two different books of the Bible. Jesus is speaking both times. But they're told in different ways. It must be that somebody has got it wrong. Maybe Matthew didn't tell the story right and Luke did. Or the other way around. But if they're not the same, then surely this is a sign that something's wrong with the Bible and somebody's messed up the story. But think about it this way. If you've ever had the same teacher or the same professor in college for more than one class, how many times have you heard that person tell the same story more than once, right? It happens. Good teachers use good stories more than once. Good preachers use good stories more than once. I can tell you that for sure. And if it's a story like this one that's really made up for the point of illustration, which parables are, that teacher, that preacher, can feel free to change the details of the story depending on the audience and the setting. In fact, I think it should be expected. So rather than seeing this as a sign that somehow the Bible's not accurate or somebody's wrong, it's more often just that, yeah, Jesus knew how to use a story in more than one way with more than one group of people, and it should be not surprising, but almost expected because Jesus was a good teacher and a good storyteller. So how does the story go in Luke chapter 19? Well, it goes like this. You've got this nobleman who decides that he's going to go on a journey and have himself proclaimed king. And we might say, okay, how does that work? Because some people in the room might like to go on that journey and be proclaimed king today. Okay. How did it work in the ancient world that you could just go do that? Well, it was really more like the King Herod story, right? So Herod is an important man, an important family, a powerful man, a chieftain. And how does he become king? He wasn't born king. Well, the Roman emperor who's in charge of everything proclaimed him king over one area in the Roman Empire. So this area, instead of having a Roman governor, has a a local king, all right? 
And so that would happen from time to time, that the emperor would make some nobleman the king. That's probably what's going on in the background of Jesus' story. So this man sets off on his journey to become king. But before he left, he brought in ten of his servants. And he wanted them to be entrusted with some of his money. And so he gives each one of these ten servants a mina. Now, a mina, if you add all this together, these ten minas were basically worth three months of wages for a common man. So it's roughly maybe a week, ten days, something like that, that each servant is given charge over and to use to make more money. He wants them to do something with this. So the master entrusts these ten servants with this money, and then he sets out on his journey. Okay, Jesus told the story as he was heading into Jerusalem. He was heading in to be crucified there. And Luke tells us that he told the story so that his disciples would understand that the kingdom of God wasn't going to come all of a sudden, that it was going to come basically over time. And we see that at work, that, that it didn't all happen on that Friday. It didn't all happen when Jesus was raised from the dead, that it spread out over time, beginning at Pentecost and really covering the whole Roman Empire. Now, the way this story is told is the man went... And as he went to be proclaimed king, he had some people come behind him, a delegation from his homeland, his homeland who did not want him to become king. But whoever's in charge ignores all that, makes him king, and he comes home. So this nobleman is now the king as he returns to his homeland. He's in charge. He basically gets to do whatever he wants to do as long as he's still serving the emperor. And he comes home and he brings in his ten servants. And he says, okay, I want to know how you did with my money. First servant says, I took your money and I put it to work. We're not told exactly how, but he did pretty well because over this time, he, he multiplies it tenfold. He gives the one back ten more. This is the response of the master in verse 17. Well done, my good servant, his master replied, because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter. Take charge of ten Cities. That's a big promotion, right? That's going from being in charge of a week's wages, which is enough to matter, but it's not like governing 10 cities. I mean, he becomes like a local governor because he's done this little bit of work. So he's rewarded very handsomely. The second servant comes and he's taken the one mina and he's multiplied it and it is now five. Same result, he's put in charge of five cities. And then the third servant, and he's the last one we hear from. This is the way it rolls out. Verse 20. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mina. I've kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. I knew that I better be really careful because if I lost this money, I'd be in big trouble. So I've been super careful. I wrapped up this money. I put it in a safe place. I checked on it every single day while you were gone. It was always there. It's still here. Here's your money. Kept it safe. I think he was expecting to be commended. But verse 22, his master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit? Why didn't you at least do that so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? 
Then he said to those standing by, take this mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And everyone sort of said that wasn't fair. And maybe it wasn't. But Jesus was making his point. Each one of these men was entrusted with something by the master. And he was expected to use it. The first two did exactly that. And they are rewarded. The third did nothing. And he was punished. So, what's the message for us? What did Jesus want us to take from this passage and learn? What did he want us to take and apply to our own lives? I would say it this way. Don't waste what God has given you. Don't waste what God has given you. Because you see, God has entrusted you with some resources. God has entrusted you to take what he has given you and to use it to do something, to take some initiative. And that's the word that really came to my mind as I thought through this, to take initiative, to say, you know what? I'm going to take what God has given me and I'm going to act. Whatever somebody else is doing, that's their business, but I'm going to take it and I'm going to act to do something. You see, what my tendency is, is to hope that after all that analysis I do of the multiple paths that could be taken, that one of them is going to emerge as like the perfect opportunity. That there's all this upside to going this direction and no downside. No danger out there. It looks safe and it looks like a big return. But life doesn't always work that way. In fact, life often doesn't work that way. What's more common is we see a mix. We see multiple opportunities with multiple benefits and multiple dangers. And none of them says, I am the perfect option. And we have to choose the best among several options, seeking out God's guidance and asking him to point us in the right direction. Or we have to choose the least bad of several Negative options, because that's all we've got. Still seeking God's guidance and all that. But choosing to act. Choosing to do something with what God has given us. Because you see, God has given us all resources. He's given us money. He's given us time. He's given us ability. He's given us our, sort of our context, our setting. And what you have as your setting is different from me. In fact, it's unique. You, you know a unique group of people. You are in a, in a perfect setting to, to accomplish something that God wants you to do that no one else can do. Where you are located is different from everyone else. And so you've got a choice, and I've got a choice. What am I going to do with the resources that God has given me? Now, one of the things that I think God does is he guides us down the right path by showing us what resources are available. You know, when I look at the money that's available for me personally in our own home or maybe for the church or maybe it's for you in your workplace or whatever else you're involved with or the time or the ability of yourself or the people around you, all those are resources. 
And we have to operate within the resources that we've been given. It is all finite, okay? We don't get to operate outside that. We may wish we had more money, time, talent, people, all those things, but we don't. And so we have to look at what we have been given and choose not to waste it and say, okay, what can I do with this? And sometimes God shows us the path because he shows us the resources that we have. The fact that we say, okay, I'm going to operate within these resources eliminates a lot of opportunities because we know we don't have the resources to pursue them. So instead of wishing we had something different, the very first decision of choosing to operate within what God has given me can allow God to be at work in a way that, man, he's not when we're wishing for something else. So a good way to begin a good way to begin action is to recognize the resources that God's given us and then decide, you know what, I'm not going to waste this. It's not perfect. It's not ideal. There's no path that I can say is full of reward and has no danger, but God's given me this and I'm going to do something with it. I'm not going to waste it. And so we have to ask ourselves, okay, what is God leading me to? We talked about that last week. We don't want it to be my plan. We don't want it to be just what do I want to accomplish, but what does God want to accomplish in me, in this place, in this time, with these resources? That's humility. But then I'm going to do something with this. I'm not going to stand by hoping for more, and I'm not going to stand by hoping for the perfect opportunity. I'm going to take what God has given in this setting and I'm going to take initiative, and I'm going to act. And so every one of us has a question to answer as we begin this new year. What does God want me to do? If God has entrusted every single one of us with resources that are designed to do ministry, and I don't just mean full-time ministry in church all day, I mean ministering to the people around us, in our families, among our friends, our co-workers, customers, whatever it is, making a difference. We have this decision. How can I take the resources God has given me and make the biggest impact for Him? So what is it that God wants me to do? What is it that God wants you to do? What are the resources He's given you showing you? What is time spent in prayer showing you? How could you use the resources He's given you to make the biggest impact for Him? And I think about that. And I think, what, what if every single one of us are gathered here today and gathered in our first service. What if we all answered that question and acted? What would the impact be on the communities in which we live? What would the impact be in our church and our school? What would the impact be in our families? I can only imagine what God could do among this group of people if we just said, I'm not going to waste what God's given me. Let's pray together.
God, we're thankful that you've entrusted us with so many things. With our time, with life itself, with the ability you've given us, financial resources, so many things that you've blessed us with. God, we don't want to waste it. So show us what you would have us to do. Show us how we can take what you've given us and then use it to make, it the, make the biggest impact possible for you. God, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.